All right, we need to assemble a crew for our raid on this English outpost. What do you think, first mate? Uh, let's see, how about the artist? She can uh, immortalize our deeds. Yeah, I'm looking for someone who could survive this raid. Well, there's the berserker. Mm, pass on the rabid guy. Well, then how about the marauder? Marauders? Wait, they're great at attacking outposts, right? Yeah, welcome aboard. Oh, wait a minute. Didn't Jarl Thorsten recently take up residence at that outpost? Oh. Maybe we should take the berserker. Hello everyone and welcome back to Dragon's Demise, the podcast about what happens on, around, and behind the tabletop. I'm Greg B, joined today by Jacob. Hello. And we are going to be reviewing Raiders of the North Sea and its two expansions, Fields of Fame and Call of Heroes. But first, let's talk about what we've been playing. Yeah, so I actually got a chance to sit down and play a little bit more of Betrayal Legacy. Yes, give me more. No spoilers though. Yeah, no spoilers, no spoilers. So I think that the game itself is, is very good. I, I like the game. I think I'm less hype about it than I was last time. Okay. Um, I mean, that'll happen. Yeah, I think a lot of it is just because of the fact that last session was a little bit off, almost. Off um, how? A lot of us were a little bit too tired, and we oh, played, okay. I think, four games in a row. Oh, that yeah, that's never a good recipe yeah. for so. Anything. And like, you know, one person was the betrayer twice in a row mm. and both times in a way that like she misread the rules and wasn't able to like, you know, do it correctly. And it's like the kind of thing where if she had read the rules correctly and done everything correctly, she would have been completely fine. Sure. Yeah. But she didn't and therefore completely almost got destroyed because of that. And then... I yeah. Do I don't want to get all victim blamey here, but I do have to ask, why did you keep playing? I mean, like you as a group, like plural, you as a yeah. group. No, I think that uh, we kept playing. I think we were going to end had we not uncovered something, a very new mechanic. Mm-hmm. We probably would have stopped at three. Okay, but we then uncovered this new thing that was just like right in the the, the legacy decks here. There are two of them. Uh, it's pretty much one uh, one for the first half of the game, then you uncover something there, and then you open the other half. Oh, wow. So it was the last part of that, where it's just like, you know, we had like a sizable stack of stuff left, and then like I draw the card, and, and like it says, and I just like start looking, it's like, oh, this is a new deck. And Interesting. It's just like a whole new thing that like, came up, and it's like completely new mechanic, completely new, just huge part of the game almost. Right. That yeah. like changed and and so it was just like well now we have to try this out we're not gonna wait a month to try out this new mechanic well that's really interesting though because to me that would seem like a really natural stopping point i think my inclination would be okay let's table this for now and then we'll pick back up with this new mechanic when we're fresh well i think interesting yeah because we we like because we were into the game already we were like you know going and we we didn't need to like you know we explain any of the rules or anything sure sure Again, we just wanted to keep going. It's just like with, with the mechanics, if we'd played through it, there's like, let's say, Pandemic Legacy season. Uh, well, okay. All right. Well, <laughs> I, I'm, I mean more like, you know, Pandemic Legacy season two, where we kept fig- uh, forgetting some of the things. You're just calling us out now. Yeah, is I'm what calling you're doing. us out, and yeah. including me. But yeah, no, it's, it's that kind of thing where if we kept doing it like that 
and like said like all right ne- we're gonna do it next time which is a month from now mm-hmm. uh we'll completely yeah, forget all like, right i guess that's fair I, it would if we were doing it regularly like we did pandemic legacy game gloomhaven game you know any of these mm-hmm. like, i think that would be a little bit different but since we're just like all right we want to get this done in four sessions pretty much oh wow yeah that's that's ambitious. i mean we're, we're, we're halfway through Right. Yeah, in, yeah, after yeah. two sessions. Okay. Well, I mean, so you're on pace. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, in general, I don't think it's a, it's an undoable task, but it's just like, it's one of those, I think we just weren't in the perfect mind space. And also, yeah, the, the one person just got like, yeah, hosed, hosed. Uh, was it the third and fourth game that was the back to back betrayals? No, oh, it was okay. the first and second. Ooh. Yeah. It was so a, they started not feeling very well. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And it was funny because it was just like, yeah, uh, we started off the game being like, the Betrayer had won both of the games prior. Mm-hmm. And so there was a little bit of a strange one on the prelude. And then after that, the two were won by the Betrayer. Right. And then the rest of us were like, the the group hadn't won a single one yet. Oh, okay. So we came in saying, like, yeah, we're going to win. And especially her, she was saying, like, yeah, we're going to actually win. We're going to beat the Betrayer. Oh, no. And then she became the Betrayer and was oh. beaten. Oh, that's so bad. Yeah. So feels so bad. Yeah, literally, she didn't win, get to be on the winning side of a game until, I think it was game five. Ugh. So, yeah, that that it was not the best for that. I don't think that the haunts are as unbalanced as they are in the base. But, yeah, I remember but you I, saying. But I do think that they can still be a little bit unfair, especially when they happen at the earliest point. Like I think in game number five, which was the third game we were playing that night, mm-hmm. the haunt happened before the second round was up. Oh gosh, yeah. yeah, that's way too early. Exactly. So none of us were prepared, and had we not misread the rules, because mm-hmm. one of the people missed a sentence in our side of the rules, we would have gotten creamed by the betrayer. Okay. But we ended up winning because of that mistake. Oh, no. Oh, that's even worse. Yeah, it, it was. It's the whole just, night just sounds like a mess. <laughs> it was a bit of a mess, though. It was a lot of fun because we or parts of it were a lot of fun because we actually like, you know, had uh, everyone brought their cloak. And so okay. yeah, we yeah. had all that. We actually had like a chant that we were using uh, when we had to take a certain thing out of somewhere. We actually had to do a chant. So we were all like, you know, chanting that. And then like the person whose place we were we were playing at. He had set up, like, you know, gotten as many occult-ish like things that he could find. He had, like, um, flint knives with, like, antler handles. And, like, he took out the Triwizard Cup uh, from Harry Potter and that kind of stuff. And, like, filled that with different things. And, like, little tea candles everywhere. It's pretty cool. And so, like, it was a really fun atmosphere and all that. And then we had, like, the creepy music playing in the background and all that kind of stuff. So All right. So, I mean, like, it was a little bit of a mixed bag. I think, in general, like, it was good still, but mm-hmm. I definitely think that I hope it gets better, pretty much. Yeah, I mean, that, yeah, that's a reasonable hope. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I hope it does, too. For my own sake, uh, I have had a chance to play Wingspan. Yep. We haven't played, but I did actually play solo game. It's, mm-hmm. uh, it's So, Wingspan is published by Stonemaier Games, who pretty consistently partner with... Uh, I guess it's a group called Atama Factory mm-hmm. um, that makes like solo variants for their games. There was one for Scythe. There's one for Viticulture. There's one for Between Two Cities. Yep. Um, and this is just a, a thing that they do. So uh, that was really cool. I haven't actually played 
an Automa before. I'd never, I own Viticulture and obviously I've played Between Two Cities and Scythe as well, but I've never played uh, any of these Automa variants. So it was cool to jump into that. I think it was okay. Mm -hmm. Um, So a lot of the solo stuff that I'm used to playing, so, you know, thinking about like Spirit Island or Terraforming Mars, you're basically just doing the same things. It's just that there's only one of you instead of there being uh, a bunch of you. With this, it's almost you are doing the same thing. Your rules don't change at all. Everything that you do is still exactly the same. But the dummy opponent that you're playing against, the Atama, is your opponent, doesn't like follow the normal flow of the game. Uh, Mm -hmm, Because, mm -hmm. you know, with Wingspan, there's a lot of decisions that have to be made with regard to, okay, which action am I going to take at which decision point? Which birds am I going to play? Which birds am I going to keep from when I draw them? Yeah. Those sorts of of decisions. And it's just too hard to model. So what they've done instead is that they've created this deck that flips over and it tells the the Atama to do a type of action that mirrors the type of actions that you could perform in game, Mm -hmm. but is different practically speaking, like mechanically speaking. So instead of drawing cards the way that a normal player would draw cards the atama when it's told to quote draw cards just discards the top like the three face-up cards from the tableau Mm -hmm. takes one card from the top of the deck face down and puts it into its stack which is then worth points at the end of the game yeah and i feel like the the reason that they sort of do this is because wingspan is uh a kind of a point salad game like you know you're just trying to find different ways to get points whether that's from you know, your birds or your eggs or your tucked mm-hmm. cards or whatever. And they just found a way to interact with some of those mechanics and so, you know, also go for some of those points. Mm-hmm. But it just feels separate somehow. Like it's definitely successful. Mm-hmm. I'll yeah. say that. Like I <sighs> absolute honesty, the Atama freaking rolled me. I I <laughs> lost by like 15 points. Out yep. of out of you know, I think I had fifty four and it had sixty eight, so mm-hmm, fourteen mm-hmm. points. When you're looking at a spread where that's like twenty percent of the winning like players' points, yep. I got rocked by this opponent. So it's clearly very successful. And I was playing on normal difficulty, not even the hard difficulty. But it just doesn't. It's a very different experience. Yeah, you're doing all of the same things. So I guess from that perspective, this is just an opportunity for you to sort of workshop okay, these are, you know, how am I going to interact with these mechanics? What am I going to do here? What, you know, mm-hmm. kind of play test some stuff against an opponent that isn't just a goldfish. But it's still, it's almost like a different game. It's a di- it's a completely different experience, which that's probably what it's supposed to be. It just wasn't quite satisfying from my perspective. Fair. I mean, I think that the games that you have been playing in the solo modes, most of them have goals at the end of the, the, the day. Right. Like, it's just like, in Terraform Mars, you have a timer. In Spirit Island, your goal is to, you know, I mean, that's a cooperative game. Cooperative games are easy yeah. to play. That, that, that's a completely different story. Well, and then something like Nemo's War, which yeah. completely spoiled me because that is a solo game. That's yeah. what it does. Exactly. Like, it's made to be a solo game. So, I mean, I think that the Automa is just a completely different style of solo game compared to those. So that can be probably jarring when you're used to yeah. playing the other ones. I'm curious to see like if you played it, let's say one or two other times to see if you still thought that it was that jarring or if like you started to like think, 
okay, I can see how this is working. Let me try to beat the algorithm almost kind of thing. Sure. Yeah. I think, I mean, really that's what it comes down to is that I think it's just a completely separate play experience where so much of your decision-making becomes not necessarily the same as you would do in a multiplayer game because Mm -hmm. you have more or less a clear understanding of what it's going to do. And now you're just trying to optimize to beat that specifically as opposed to generically improve, which I'm sure that, you know, knowing how to beat a specific type of thing will improve yeah. you generally, but it's just a, a very different experience. Not a bad one, just different. So, yep. uh, but yeah, I mean, that was, that was interesting. I look forward to playing the, uh, like the full game mm-hmm, again. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, for sure. Point, Cause so good. It's really good. It's really it good. is such a good game. This is one of the few games that I've been like every single time I've played it, I've been. Well, and I think actually you should play the Atama. Because I think this sort of what's happening with you with Wingspan was similar to what happened to me with Spirit Island, where you're Mm -hmm. thinking about it even when you're not playing and you're thinking about, oh, what are these interactions? What if I did this type of strategy? Mm -hmm. Like it's captured your attention. Yeah. I think you should play the Atama. I'd be interested to see Mm -hmm. what your experience is with that. I'll have to check it out. I've been planning on doing it. I just haven't had the time, but I, I will definitely want to do that. Yeah. Well, there you go. That is a look at what we've been playing. So Raiders of the North Sea is one of the games which was nominated for the 2017 Kenner Spiels Jahres, which is like the connoisseur kind of game of the year. Like it's a they, big deal. Yeah, it's it's really a big deal. It didn't win, but I still think it's a really great game. So how do you play this amazing Euro game? The way that it works is you start with one meeple, and that meeple is then used for the actions on the town. And you get to place that meeple in one area and use that action and then you get to take one of the meeples back from the town to your board and that's your second action now the town actions can be anything from getting more cards in your hand that allows you to you know use more different crew abilities and and have more crew or you know getting silver from the silversmith going to the mill getting provisions going to the longhouse and sacrificing things offering things to the gods And so all of these different actions, you get to do those. And on a regular turn, it's two actions. Now you can also go on raids. And raids, of course, you know, this is a Vikings game. So the raids are a big deal. And for a raid, you want to have a crew and have enough provisions and be able to go and beat whatever military strength those areas have. But that takes up your entire turn. You don't get a second half action or anything like that. Uh, you just go on a raid. Right. You do still take a meeple during setup. Each of the raiding sites is seated, essentially, with a meeple. And where your starting meeple was black, some of the meeples that you'll be taking when you finish a raid will be gray or white. And this is sort of a progression mechanic in the game. There are certain raiding sites that can only be accessed with different colors of meeples. There are certain town actions that can only be performed with certain colors of meeples, and it's just generally a way to control when players unlock access to different parts of the game. Exactly. And once you succeed on a raid, you have to overpower whatever military strength they have, and then you get the plunder. Now, plunder can be a few different things. You can have livestock, gold, iron, and then there are the Valkyries. So these represent pretty much the crew members who are killed in battle. And these are also part of the plunder that has been randomly seeded into the different areas. 
And what you do with this is that you actually have to kill one of your crew members. So they get taken off. You know, you can't ever use them again. They're dead. But you get to place yourself one higher on the Valkyrie track, which is another scoring track. Right. So every time you go on a raid, you're going to be earning points based on your military strength compared to what's required by the site itself. Mm-hmm. And that's going to be your primary source of points is gearing up for raids, building a crew, getting provisions, and going. That's going to generate most of your points. Yeah, and real quick, the uh, the crew cards themselves, they have a few different important things. First, they have the hiring cost, which ranges from, I believe, one to four. Like one to four-ish, yeah. yeah. And then they have a power value, and that ranges from zero to four. And then they have usually two different abilities. Mm-hmm. Now, the abilities, uh, one of them is an ability that if they're in your crew, they get that ability. And the other one is if you use them at the town hall, you get like that one-time ability. One's like an ongoing one. The other one is like a passive one-time bonus. Exactly. So you've assembled your crew, you go on the raid, you've got the points, but you've also got the plunder. Plunder is used for a lot of different things. Gold can be used to go further on your raids. Iron can be used to raise your armor score, which is sort of a permanent baseline military strength bonus. But it can also be used for offerings, which Jacob mentioned. You can make offerings at the Longhouse, and this is the other big source of points in the base game. You basically contribute a specific combination of plunder and sometimes coins, silver coins, mm-hmm. and you take an offering tile. Yep. And that offering tile, based on what you had to contribute, will be worth a different amount of points. Mm-hmm. So that is, like I said, in the base game, the other really big source of points, and one of the other things that controls when the game ends. Yeah, so the game ends when one of three conditions are met. Either there are no more Valkyries left on the board, there are no more offerings left in the offering stack, so that stack is empty, or when the furthest raiding spots, the fortresses, only have one left standing, pretty much. So when any of these happen, the game ends that round, so you finish up the round, Add up any of the points that you have, so anything from the different tracks, whether it's the armor track, the Valkyrie track, you know, add those in there. Any other points that you have in your crew that could happen at the end of the game, plus anything based on the plunder that you have left. And then whoever has the most points wins. Yeah, and that's the base game for Raiders of the North Sea. There are two expansions. Hall of Heroes adds an extra town action slot called the Mead Hall. Players can go to the Mead Hall in order to recruit crew members into their hands, Mm -hmm. but also to gain access to a new resource called mead, which can be spent. It's basically liquid courage. Uh, You can give mead to your crew members and temporarily raise their military strength. You have to do it before you go on the raid. So in the event that the dice that you have to roll on some of those raids come up negative, there's no chance to respond, but they can still sort of give you a buffer. Mm Mm-hmm. The other thing that's added by the Hall of Heroes expansion is quests and reputation tiles. So quests are put out anytime a raid site is completed. Someone raids there, they take the plunder, and the plunder is replaced with a quest. You can go on a quest by discarding a certain value of power from your hand rather than from your crew, and you can take that quest tile and the associated things that come with it. Sometimes it's plunder, provisions, coins, all very useful stuff especially because you can get it way easier than you can from raiding. Yeah, plus it, it also goes on a track that you now have like on the player board, which uh, gives you points depending on how many of these you, you get. And if you collect sets of 
Like there are three different types of adventures. If you collect sets of that type, you also get more reputation, which is a token, which gives you even more stuff. So it could be also gold, could be armor, could be plunder. It all depends on which one you take. Yep. And so that's Hall of Heroes. And then last is Fields of Fame. This mm-hmm. adds Jarls. Jarls are powerful new adversary types. They go into the bag and they're dealt out along with the rest of the plunder and with the Valkyries. When you raid a site with a Jarl, you have to flip over the top card of the Jarl deck. And mm-hmm. this will be a very powerful opponent that you can choose to either kill in order to gain fame, subdue in order to recruit them to your team. You do still have to pay them, though. Yep. Uh, or to run away. Sometimes... You know, you just got to hightail it. Yep. And then tale of your deeds of cowardice just goes all over the land and you either lose a fame point or a victory point. Right. So when you encounter a Jarl, if you choose to kill them or subdue them, they're going to inflict wounds on you. This is another new mechanic added by Fields of Fame, which basically allows you to recruit or defeat these Jarls by decreasing the military strength of your crew members. Where yep. before the Valkyries just killed them or didn't kill them, the mili- er, the wounds allows you to nickel and dime down your dudes in exchange for, obviously, these very powerful bonuses that come with the Jarls. If you don't run away and you're actually able to defeat and kill the Jarl, you will become more famous, and this puts you up on the fame track. The fame track is a new thing that has been added in this expansion as well. It is similar to the Valkyrie track in that it just gives you points depending on how high you get on it. It has like thresholds and it can give you more points. There are 11 levels of it. And if you get to the top one, you get 15 extra points. And then you also have on the same board that gives you that fame track, there are three new township locations. Now these are raids that can be done by either black or gray meeples. And they are almost like a low to mid level kind of raid. So you don't get to roll any dice, but at the same time, you still get the victory points added more than anything in the harbors. Right. So that's the base game plus the expansions. Let's talk about how it all feels. I like this game. I think it's a lot of fun. I think that the flow of the game is really, really good, especially because of the whole put down and then pick up. Mm -hmm. It's hard to forget to do like your whole turn almost because like oh wait i don't have another meeple what the heck like you know i have to end with one of those right you'll always catch yourself yeah exactly and then i think using the cards in multiple ways that's really cool and the progression of it is great i really like the fact that all these different meeples like you start with the the lower level ones and then as you get further on like those get retired because they actually get stuck wherever you place them as as raiders Mm -hmm. so you know if you raid a harbor with a black meeple that one stays at that harbor and you can never use it again and since the black meeples are the ones that get the most out of the silversmith you will actually run out of those and like you can almost like be jealous of like hoarding one of them like you know no i don't want to, i don't want to lose this one it's it's a good one and then like i want more money but the other meeples are good for other things like the gray and white ones get additional benefits at the mill and they can use the longhouse and the blacksmith and that kind of stuff yeah i think the different colors of meeple is a really interesting multi-layered sort of mechanic you yeah. know we mentioned that it functions sort of as a progression mechanism because you can't raid the fortresses the final hardest sites without using white meeples but it's also sort of a strategic element because there's so many times when you're going to be thinking about okay i need to take this action but sometimes in order to take that action 
you need a gray meeple or you need, you know, as Jacob mentioned, the black meeples are the best silversmiths. Maybe that's what you need. So finding moments when you can gain access to some of those becomes this extra layer of what do I do? What do I have to do in this particular situation? Exactly, exactly. The raids are such a major thing in the game that when you're going on the raids, you really have to choose which ones you go to because there's a really big balance between like what kind of plunder you're getting and the detriments. Like, you know, you can go for somewhere like, you know, you have someone in your party that's supposed to be like, you know, if they die in a raid, they get victory points or fame points or something like that. And you want them to die. So you're looking for the Valkyries. But otherwise, it's just like, you know, the Valkyrie both takes away a crew member and also a spot for other plunder. Right. Yeah. I think they've done a really good job with the design, looking at how they've sort of balanced the, you know, the plunder versus the Valkyries. Yeah. And I think even to the extent that you have crew members who are incentivized to die. Yeah. Um, you know, you have the the shepherd who gives you provisions back if they die in a raid, or the artist who gives you fame if she dies in a raid. So you have these targets that you maybe want to pick off with a Valkyrie, but again, there's the opportunity cost. You don't get the plunder for that. That person is going to take up a slot in your crew, which could be better filled. Both of those ones that I just name dropped are very low power crew members. Yeah. That's going to decrease your ability to actually get to those upper echelons of, uh, you know, the point values. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of trade-offs there, and I think it's well-designed and well-calibrated yeah. when you're looking at those types of interactions. Yeah, definitely. And then also just the plunder that you get and having those resources and managing them, it's surprisingly difficult. Like, for a yeah. game about raiding, like, you've really got to put in the, like, legwork to get ready for these raids. Yeah. Well, and it's surprising to me because the resource management aspect of it feels very much like, you know, your standard Euro, right? Mm-hmm. Where you've got, you know, I got to get my resources and then I got to spend my resources and you got to make sure that you're avoiding scarcities. But the turn structure feels anything but, yeah. you know, it's not just turn, 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 turn. Okay. Rounds over turn, turn, turn. Okay. Rounds over your turns go so fast and your opponent's turns go so fast and they're so fluid that the resource management side of this and sort of dealing with, okay, oh crap, I don't have enough silver. It it sneaks up on you mm-hmm. because it's so easy to flow right into that next turn. Yeah, it sneaks up on you, especially when you're fighting a Jarl and you want to hire them. <sighs> okay, I didn't ask to be called out like this. But yes, that did happen to me like four times. So, But in general, like I think that using the different actions and having to be based on like what other people have played before you like makes that even a little bit more of a challenge because like let's say both the silversmith and the mill are taken and you need both silver and provisions all right i can't use both of these because they already have meeples on them and i can't mm-hmm. replace i can't just replace the meeple i have to first place my meeple and then take a meeple off to use the other action so it's one of these kinds of things where it's like negotiating and like there are some alternatives like you know you can go to the treasury and get rid of one of your cards in order to get some gold or you can go to the longhouse and sacrifice one of your livestock in order to get some provisions and so it's like there are these alternatives but each one has its own like little opportunity cost where it's just like if you're not in the perfect situation it might not work exactly as you want it to yeah for sure another thing that's affecting players sort of at the individual level is your tolerance for risk yeah um because you've got you know at the harbor you're gonna go you raid you get one point 
doesn't matter. Every other rating site in the game has sort of thresholds where it says, okay, if you meet X military strength, then you get three points. But if you meet X plus four military strength, then you're going to get, you know, seven victory points or whatever. Mm -hmm. So you're trying to meet these thresholds, but building up to get to those thresholds takes that much more time. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, if you're the type of people like Jacob or I, you're going to want it. You're just going to build. You're going to sit, you're going to build up and you're going to say, I'm not going to go on this raid until it's guaranteed that I'm going to get the maximum possible points for this. Mm -hmm. But, you know, if someone gets in under you, there's a finite number of raids that can happen. And there's a finite number of raids that can happen at any given location. So, you know, if someone snipes the last spot at that monastery that you were wanting to raid, well, now you can't get any points at all. Or even more immediately, more practically, if someone takes the plunder pile that you were wanting because you wanted to maximize your victory points, well, now you don't get access to that plunder. Mm -hmm. So we've mostly played against each other. So I think we've benefited each from that because we just sort of sit back and let the other one do their thing and we're going to do our thing. But I would really love to see us in a game with more faster, aggressive people. All right. We got to get Will on this. We got (laughs) to... Yeah, for sure. But yes, exactly. It's that kind of thing where you can decide to just blitz the fortresses mm-hmm. and just take the lowest number of victory points for them, but end the game sooner. So if you know that that's what you want to do, you want to get in there before anyone else gets a lot of victory points and just go boom, 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 get them and and end the game. Otherwise, you know, you get games to score like 130 something, 140 something points like what we did. Yeah. And the player count here really, really affects the game. Yeah. I mean, two players, you still step on each other's toes, but not really that much. Mm-hmm. But you get into the three, four, five, or six player variants, which the five and the six are all from the expansions, mm-hmm. one per expansion. That's when you're going to be crowded and everyone's going to be wanting to go for the same thing because there usually are like certain raids that are like objectively better or like certain combinations that are just really good that you mm-hmm. would want to take. The whole Jarl Valkyrie combination, whenever that comes out, that's usually a really good one because if you have someone that you're going to sacrifice, boom, boom, just, they take the the wounds mm-hmm. and then and they just sacrifice boom. and boom, and they're out of your party. You might even get the bonus for sacrificing them. Right. So I think there are certain ones that you really want to go for, and there's going to be a lot more competition. You're not going to get to these high point totals if you're playing with more players. Right. But as we always like to say, no game is perfect. Yeah, I think this game comes fairly close, though. I think most of what we have are sort of quibbles. I think in the base game, certainly you run into a problem where your access to most of the forms of plunder are finite. Yeah. You, you know, you can get gold from town actions, but you can't do the same for livestock or for iron, which means mm-hmm. you're going to hit a point where some of the offerings are just literally inaccessible because yep. you don't have access to those resources anymore, except through card actions which the crew member deck is large enough that you can't reliably get those resources so Mm -hmm. i think they did a lot to solve that with the quest system from hall of heroes where they you know each of the quests most of them give you at least one sometimes two plunder and i think that does a lot for sort of mitigating that Mm -hmm. but i think it would be nice to see because the the actions in town that get you gold they're not cheap Uh, They either require a white worker at the mill, which is very late game, or they require you to discard two cards from your hand, which is a very high cost. 
Mm-hmm. So I think I would love to see actions in town calibrated to about that same level, one for each livestock and iron. Yeah, I agree. And then the other thing that I think I have a bit of a problem with is the fame track. So this is in the fields of fame expansion. Mm-hmm. And I just feel like it's totally extraneous. It's yeah, it's just not calibrated correctly, I don't think. I'm sure that it's a bit different when, when it's not us playing because we really go for like, you know, maximizing the efficiency of every raid and all that kind of stuff. But even then, it's one of those things that's like, oh yeah, I get some fame for this kind of thing. And it's like, I get a little bit of uh, extra stuff for this. And then you just go, go and stay at the very top. Whereas, you know, there are the like track like Valkyries, for example, you have that's calibrated perfectly that like, you know, in a two player game, getting to the top of the Valkyrie track is still going to take you the majority of the game. And you might not even do it. Exactly. Like you you can still get to the, uh, the end of the game in a two-player game without getting to the end of that. Whereas for us, it hasn't happened for the fame track. It's just like, it's one of those where it's like, yeah, okay, whatever, it's, it's happening. And then by the end of it, we're just not even paying attention to it because we got to the top in mid-game. Right. So I feel like that is something that could have been calibrated better and maybe doesn't really take away from it, but I wish that it added more. Yeah. I mean, but that's all we could really come up with for No Game is Perfect. So I think moving straight on into ratings. So as a reminder, or as a uh, introduction to people who may be new here, the way that we rate games is on a three-point scale. Skip it, play it, buy it. We do have two outliers, top shelf at the very, very tippy top that we think everyone should own and burn it, which we thankfully haven't had to bust out ever. Exactly. So Greg, what are your thoughts? I think it's a buy it. I think there's a lot of really solid mechanics here looking at just the base game. I mean, I think that's a buy it too. I think yeah. it's it's solid. It's got a really unique sort of core gameplay loop mm-hmm. of this, you know, play some meeple, take a meeple. Gameplay is quick. It's compelling. It feels competitive and like, oh, you sniped the place I wanted to go, but it never feels frustrating yeah. to me. I don't think I've ever felt frustrated mm-hmm. in a game of Raiders of the North Sea, which is a really important thing for me when I play competitive games. I think the expansions are great. I think the quest system does a lot to fix sort of the longevity issues around plunder. I think the Jarls in particular are a really fun and interesting way to introduce some new risk to your raids, as well as some new uh, sort of very high power individuals that you can recruit. Mm -hmm. I think I'm gonna do a split review. I'm gonna say that the base game is a buy it and the expansions are play it. I think that neither of them are necessary for the full enjoyment of the game but if you want to get them they're great all right i'm also going to give this a buy it it is a lot of fun i really enjoy the game i think that it is very well done the flow is really good i've pretty much uh, i've enjoyed the game pretty much every time that i've played it the artwork itself is absolutely gorgeous mm-hmm. like the different styles of beer that you can find on a lot of these dudes are amazing. <laughs> and then all the female characters in there are also just really gorgeously drawn and rendered. The style of it is great. The whole thing is just a really, really good game. And yeah. I highly recommend buying it. I will say that I disagree with Greg. I think that the expansions for me are also a buy it because I think I had a big problem with the resource management in the base game because of the way that I played, because I'm a little bit slower on, in terms of the whole getting my raids out and all that kind of stuff, I usually got left behind in the plunder and having those adventures really helps. And also I just absolutely love the mechanic for the Jarls. I think that the Jarls are 
something that really, really makes the game with being able to, you know, wound your characters. And then after that, you know, uh, you wound these guys and then I don't feel as bad, like, you know, sending them to with a Valkyrie out here. It's like, yes, they did their part. Boom. They're gone. They give me this benefit and that's it. And I think it, it really did wonders for the card turnover, for the using as many cards as you want and all that kind of stuff. So I highly recommend buying all three, if at all possible. Well, there you go. Mostly buy it all around. That is our review of Raiders of the North Sea. Before we go, real quick, we're going to give a couple recommendations, a couple of games that we think are similar to this. If you like them, you will probably like this and vice versa. First on that list is Keeper. This is another worker placement game that has a lot of really high level strategy related to where you're placing your workers. The different colors of workers have different effectiveness in different places. The places that you're putting your workers may have implications for what actions you're able to access again in the future. Obviously, there's not quite as much of the raiding aspect. It's much more of a traditional resource gathering, build your city type of Euro game. But if you're the type of person who really likes sort of complexities around how you're utilizing your workers, I think Keeper is a really good choice. And then if you do want something with more boats, then we've got... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> we've well, you're got, not wrong. Yeah, exactly. We've got New Bedford, and New Bedford is a game about whaling, and so, you know, a little bit uh, other side of the ocean for the most part. It has a very similar cyclical mechanic. You've still got the communal, like, space where, like, all the actions are taking place, and, you know, uh, you have to be the first one to get to certain actions, and the, the timing matters and all that kind of stuff, but it also has the expeditions for whaling, so you are going out and based on your expedition, based on how far out you are and things like that, that's how many whales you're able to get. And and uh, there's like a cost benefit to, you know, just going straight out versus, you know, waiting to get your whole expedition, get as much food as you need, boom, and then going as far out as possible. So these are all similar things to the raiders way of uh, doing the, the whole raids and that kind of stuff that you need to wait and gather up supplies for your raids go out, get these other things, and then use them, that kind of stuff. And there you have it, our total look at Raiders of the North Sea. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Dragon's Demise. We hope that you enjoyed it. Shout out now to our Greater Worm patrons who support us on Patreon. Those are Casey, Carissa, Hunter, Sam, and Meg. Thank you all for all your generosity. It's been a great help to us in growing this channel. Speaking of growing the channel, if you like if you like hearing us talking about board games, you should come watch us play board games. If you go to twitch.tv slash dragons demise, we have recently become affiliates on Twitch, and so we will now be exclusively streaming there. And there's gonna be a lot of fun stuff going on there. We check out our emotes and yeah. I hope to see you there for one of our either Wednesday or Friday live streams. And of course, don't forget to join us next week for another episode of Dragon's Demise.